Good evening, everyone. Frank told me to break some ice, so I think we broke some ice. Uh, my name is Peter Davidson. I'm one of the pastors here at Lakeview Christian Center. The Lord is... You're not going to behave tonight, are you? I was a school teacher. I don't tolerate this kind of stuff. I will punish you. Remember, I have water. I will pour water on you. And you know I will. I'm not nice like Frank. Frank's a gentleman. I was raised on Camp in Bellcastle. I ain't no gentleman. <clears throat> Been on staff at the church since 1990. It still amazes me, and I think it especially amazes the other elders who elected to allow me to come on staff. I think they're still scratching their heads and thinking, what were we taking that night? But here I am. I've been married 49 and some odd years to my avid LSU baseball, football, softball, Pelicans, Saints, etc., etc., enthusiast, my wife, Jean. Stand up, Dee. Oh, you are. Okay, stand up. There she is. There she is. Now, there she is. You see? I'm telling you. She's always trying to top me. So, uh, <clears throat> if any of you are wondering, any of you following LSU baseball, we're playing Mississippi State last night, tonight. Two or three. Anybody wants to know, Pretend you have to get up and go somewhere. Stop at the table where Jean is, and she'll be able to give you the blow-by-blow experience of what's happening tonight as she's going to sneak peeks on her cell phone, the, uh, the game. I shouldn't have told on you, huh? Okay. We're excited that you're here tonight. This is always one of the highlights that we experience twice a year toward the end of each beta, alpha rather, to be able to gather those who would be willing to come on a Friday night and hopefully on a Saturday morning and to hear about the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And so as, as we share tonight... I don't want this just to be another teaching. And Frank has not wanted what he's been saying to be just another teaching. And Keith has not wanted what he has been saying is just another teaching. You see, because we are not here just to get information. Although information is part of what we are receiving. We are here tonight... So that as God gives us information, knowledge about himself, about the ministry of the Holy Spirit, what he's doing that for is to change our lives by our personally being drawn into him, into fellowship as we hear the gospel, as we hear what the Lord Jesus has done to the cross to take the full burden of all our sin to the cross and to pay for that. So for those who trust in him, eternal life is their gift from God. And so as you listen tonight, it's very important to certainly listen with your ears, obviously. I don't know if I can listen with my mouth and my nose. I know my mouth is always moving and that's why I can't listen. But as you listen with your ears, I'm asking you to be sensitive to what is happening on the inside of you. In your feelings. In your thoughts. To your emotions. Because God has already saved a number of folks who have been attending Alpha. He's already taken a number out 
of the domain of Satan and have transferred them into the kingdom of his own son. And that happened because God revealed information or knowledge and then transformed that information and knowledge into a heart's desire, a feeling, a desire, a wanting. And in that transaction, God brought folks into the kingdom of God. So this is the way, listen tonight, with your heart. Allow the word to go from your ears into your heart. And as you are listening, be cooperating with what God is saying to you about himself and about yourself. Because at the end of the evening... The Holy Spirit is going to do a great and wonderful work and give a great and wonderful blessing to many of you. It happens every time we're together. And folks come in here burdened down, cast down, and they leave freed as new children of God. So be anticipating that. Be praying for that. So tonight, what we're going to do is talk about the ministry of the Spirit in birthing us or in bringing us into the kingdom of God. And then tomorrow, we're going to be speaking about the empowerment of the Spirit, giving us the ability to live as children of God, children who are pleasing to Him. So let's pray first. Father, Father, thank you so much for... your care, your kindness, your goodness. Father, thank you that you have loved your people so much, greater than any love that has ever been expressed, that you have sent your own Son, the Lord Jesus, so that we might be saved by trusting and embracing his sacrifice, his payment for our sin. So Holy Spirit, we're asking tonight for you to do what you always do. And that is to move among us and convict and then birth your people into your kingdom. Father, we ask you to do this because this is your will. This is your great pleasure. This brings glory to your name. In Jesus' name, amen. The term that you've heard at Alpha about being birthed into the kingdom of God is the term born again. Now, many of you may have heard the term born again being used by television evangelists and radio preachers or whatever. Some of you may not have understood the word. Some of you may not like the word. But simply put, the word born again is God's terminology. It's the terminology that Jesus uses in John chapter 3. And it's the terminology that is used to describe the work of God in giving us a second life, if you would. The first life being born physically. And then, once we have been born physically, the working of the Spirit to birth us if you would, a second birth into his kingdom, the first time into his kingdom, but a second birth experience. And so the phrase born again is used by Jesus a couple of three times in John chapter 3. And I think you see your notes there. And let's read that together. John chapter 3, verses 3 through 8. And Jesus is talking to Nicodemus, and Nicodemus is a priest, a teacher. Probably the teacher of Israel, what Jesus calls him. You are the teacher. And so he comes to Jesus one evening and he wants to speak to Jesus about, who are you? We know you're from God because no man can do these kinds of miracles unless he's from God. So the question is not, are you from God or not? We know you're from God. We just want to know exactly who are you? What is your purpose? And so he asks Jesus this question and Jesus answers him, Not the way Nicodemus expected. So what does verse 3 say? Truly, truly, I say to you, 
You cannot see the kingdom of God unless you're born again. That's not exactly the way it says, but that's what it means. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a person or one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, I want you to notice, and some of you have pens, you may want to underline the word truly, truly. When Jesus uses the word truly, truly, or some Bibles say amen, amen, or verily, verily. That means this. What I'm going to say is of utmost significance. So anytime you have Jesus and when you're reading the word and you see verily, verily, truly, truly, what he's going to say to us is of paramount primary significance. It's not just one of those things that we can kind of take or leave. So let's see what Jesus himself says. He says, I say to you, unless one is born again, what? He cannot. Now, would you underline the word cannot? Cannot. Because what we find is that people begin to create their own theology. And Frank talks a lot about this. A theology of how to be pleasing and acceptable to God based on what I will do. Well, what I believe is... And you give you two or three sentences. Well, what I was taught is. And so what we're talking about tonight are the words of the Lord Jesus himself. Now, just as a simple uh, moving off to the side, transgression, and not transgression. What does it call it? What word I want here? Uh, Transition. No, what? Digression here, just for a moment. How do we know? That Jesus knew what he was talking about. How do we know that this is really the truth? How do we know that? There's only one way we know that what he says and what he does is absolutely and forever the truth. And whether I accept it or not, or believe it or not, in no way alters the fact. You may not believe that stepping in front of an 18-wheeler going 60 miles an hour will hurt you. But, Scotty, once you do it, even though you don't believe it, you will find that the fact overruled your belief. Right? How do we know what Jesus says is true? What proves that this man, everything he did and everything he said, is absolutely truth forever and from God? What is the essential proof of that? He rose from the dead. He's the resurrection. There was no body to find. They didn't find the body because there is no body to find. He rose from the dead. And in that resurrection, that proves without any doubt that absolutely this man is the Son of God who has taken on the full weight and penalty of all the sin of God's people so that every one of God's people who call upon Jesus to be saved will be saved. And those who don't believe it, those who think there's another way, one day they will find that when they stand before this majestic man who sits upon his throne of judgment, they were wrong. And so when Jesus says, verily, verily, or truthfully, truthfully, this is of primary importance. This is not my opinion. It's not the opinion of this church. It is the unequivocal statement of the Son of God. Verily, verily, I say unto you, you must be born again. Nicodemus Nicodemus says to him in verse 4, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time in his mother's womb and be born? See, he doesn't get it. And Jesus said this, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of the water and the Spirit, we're talking about the work of the Spirit, he cannot, underline the word again, cannot. You see, these are absolute terms. He doesn't say he may not. He says he cannot. When God says you can't, you can't. He cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you what? You must be born again. So what is happening tonight?
Tonight I want to share a little bit about the Spirit's activity of causing His people to be born again, to be saved, to enter the kingdom of God, to be with God forever. And He does that in three essential ways. He does it through the preaching of the gospel, which is the good news that God has sent his son to pay the penalty of our sin so that we can have eternal life and escape the wrath of God. And so tonight I want to talk about three parts of this work of God using the gospel as his powerful means administered by his spirit to bring people into his kingdom. He warns us, he woos us, and he wins us. So what are these three? He warns us, he woos us, and he wins us. So let's first talk about warning. You know, one of the most beautiful scriptures in all the Bible, and one that probably most of us knew before we ever came in here. John 3.16. Remember that? What does it say? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Now isn't that a great promise? That God loves his people so much that he sent his son to purchase eternal life for us. And then he gives us that gift of eternal life. That's a wonderful scripture. But you see, that's not the whole scripture that Jesus talks about. Because in that scripture, Jesus gives us a warning. So we begin to talk about the love of God. But then when we begin to talk about God's love, it cannot stop there. Because God has sent his son into the world loving us because of a great problem and a great disaster that has occurred to all of us. And so we begin to hear the Lord warn us. I taught English for a number of years. I taught in Chalmette down in Andrew Jackson High School. Now, what I had to do when I went down there, I had to relearn the English language the way they spoke it and then try to teach them the way everybody else speaks it. Anybody from Chalmette in here? A few. You know, I knew that. I could tell by the color that you had to be from some place. When did you graduate? Well, you don't have to tell me your age. When? You graduated in 1922? 1970? 74. Yeah, I was there through 70. I taught English. Who was your English teacher in freshman year? Good heavens. Well, look up your yearbook. I'm in there. I know I didn't look this way then. And so, we're having a thrilling time in the class. We're talking about nouns and pronouns and adjectives and adverbs and perms and stuff like that. Doll in. And the, the girls, it's an all-girls high school, are enraptured with the, the grammar. They're just sitting on the edge of the seat, tell us more, tell us more. Right? And so, here's the way I captured their attention. I used a certain term that made all the difference in the world. I said, this is on the final exam. <gasps> Mr. Davidson, could you tell us again? Could you tell us again? We're ready to learn. We're let the pens come out. The, and we begin to write down. And we begin to put this stuff in our you know, binders. And we begin to learn it. Why? Because it's on the final exam. <sighs> What'd you say? What? Everything ceases to be normal. Everything turns on that one phrase. It's on the final exam. Do any of you remember final exams? 
Any of you pass them? <laughs> Isn't the final exam to many of us, wasn't it the most, one of the most scary things we had to face? And of course, the second semester, you know, here's the question. Mr. Davidson, how much is going to be on the final exam? How much? You're staying awake, right? <laughs> Told you it's coming back. How much is on the final exam? Now, this is a grammar English course. So what are we going to do? Study the parts of speech in the beginning of the semester and forget about them the second semester so they wind up leaving the class not knowing how to use the grammar properly? No. Everything from the first day is on the... F oh, Mr. David, please. <laughs> when Jesus says, Verily, verily, I say to you, you must be born again. This is the Son of God telling us. This is not just on the final exam. Being born again is the final exam. This is God's final and only exam. There's not an examination about what church you went to, how well you think you did, you hope that God does this, that, and the other. It's not about any of that. When the Son of God tells you that being born again is the final exam, what does that mean? It is the final exam. Now, quite frankly, I don't care what other people say. No one has the authority to change this because this is God's eternal plan for his people. And I want to make this a sober issue tonight. And I believe the Holy Spirit makes it a sober issue for us because you might be in here tonight having listened to Alpha or perhaps You've not been to many of the Alphas. Having listened and listened, and there's still in your mind, oh, I'm not sure, I'm not sure, whatever. I understand that. But at least tonight, say to God, just in the si inside of yourself, Lord, would you make this clear to me tonight and convince my heart so that I can be in heaven with you forever. How important is being born again? It is the final exam. You see, there's a warning here. Remember, Jesus, God so loved the world. But then listen to the rest of that passage. Verse 17. For God did not send his son into the world to, save, uh, to condemn the world, but to save the world. Save the world from what? Save the world from what? Verse 18 tells us. Whoever believes in him, in the Son of God, is not condemned. God sent his Son into the world that we would not be condemned. But whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. In other words, being saved or not saved, being condemned or not condemned, has nothing to do with the best I'm trying to do, or where I live, or what church I've been to. It has everything to do with either believing that Jesus is the Son of God, who has paid fully for all my sin, and I receive that. I embrace his payment on my behalf, and receive it to my credit, or I say no, and then I'm under the condemnation of God. And let me make sure we hear this. There is no such thing as partial. You are either, and we are either fully, forever received, 
and saved, or we are fully and forever condemned. No middle ground. There's no middle ground. We're either accepted fully and forever, or we are rejected fully and forever. What's the basis? Being born again. Receiving, believing, and embracing what Frank has been talking about for weeks, especially in week two, three, and four, I think. Those were the the kernel weeks, the most important three weeks, if you would. And so what is this condemnation? What is the condemnation? What In John chapter 3, going further down in verse 36, just a continual narration here. Here's what the word says. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. What is the problem with our sin? Our sin has made a separation between us and God. As a result of our sin, we are not in fellowship with this God. There is no such thing that we are all born into the world as the children of God. That is a devil-demonic teaching. Now, you just write it down. It's a lie. Everybody is a child of God. Why does the devil teach that? Because he wants you just to ignore what Jesus says and assume there's another way into the kingdom other than what Jesus himself says. The Bible never says that everyone is a child of God. The Bible always and only says those who are the children of God are those whom have, who have been birthed into the kingdom of God. These are the children of God. Everyone else is not a child of God. So we're separated from God. Well, what's the problem about being separated from Okay, I won't be with God. Okay, I'll, I'll take my chances on that. I'll roll the dice. But you see, there is no chance. There is no gambling here. Either you have eternal life, and either I have eternal life, or I am condemned. And what is that condemnation? The Bible says it is the wrath of God. What is the wrath of God? The wrath of God is his settled opposition to and anger with sin. And it is poured out upon the person who has not been born again. Another name for it, which I don't like the word any more than anybody else does, is hell. It's not a popular word today. Preachers often don't preach hell anymore. We preach God is love. and But you see, there is no love of God unless we understand that Jesus has come to save us from condemnation, the wrath of God, and going to hell. Then, once we begin to be warned that we are in the most desperate shape, the most desperate condition of all. Once that happens, all of a sudden, we are ready to hear the remedy. And you say, well, why is God so wrathful? There are a few people in this room, and there's a couple in the other room, who either have had or right now are fighting cancer. Now think. Your little child is sick. So you take your little child to the doctor, your little sweetheart. And the diagnosis is your child has an incurable cancer and will be dead in six months. Now think, your child is going to die in six months. What feeling do you have right now? about the cancer. What is your feeling about the cancer? Come on, you can say things. I don't mind if you talk in my classroom. If I give you permission, you can talk. If I don't, mm. What is your feeling? What is your feeling about the cancer? Anybody have a thought? Anger. Say it again. Anger. Yell it out. Anger. Anger! Isn't that it? How many of you would go into your closet and start yelling and screaming? Would you? My baby's dying. Oh, it's okay. It's okay. You know, at least I, you know, I'm all right. It's, what, are you crazy? Why is there such anger? And then the anger becomes a rage of opposition. Why? 
Why? Because the greater your love for your child, the greater the opposition and the anger against that which will destroy your child. Am I right? The wrath is a consequence of God's love for his people. And a great incurable cancer has come into the universe called sin. And the only way to eradicate it from his people, the only way to stop it from killing his people eternally, is to either burn it away and burn it under the wrath of his fiery anger, or to place that cancer, that that sin, upon the shoulders of his son, so that God the Son, in his death, is able to destroy all the cancer in all of his people, thus saving them from the wrath and giving them eternal life. That's the reason for the warning. Love always produces warning. So we start with warning. So now once you know you have cancer, when the doctor says, Mr. Smith, Mr. Jones, I need you to come to my office. I have the most wonderful news about a cure for your sweetheart. <gasps> well, I can't come today. I'll come next week. Right? You're going now or not next week? No, no, I, I have things to do. I'm too busy. I'm too busy. You know, call me again later. What do we do when we hear that news? We have a cure. What do we do? We put everything down and get ourselves over to the doctor's office. And the doctor sits there and he tells you there's only one cure. Oh, well, I don't think that's fair. I think there should be 52 cures. Oh, I don't think that's fair at all. There's only one cure. Just strange, isn't it? Just one cure, Charles. And he tells you, here's the cure. You have to take this medicine. And once you take it, you will, your child will be cured. Is that good news? Is that good news? Yes. But you see, if one day you didn't know you had cancer, your child had cancer, and the doctor says, Here, here's something for you to take. Oh, well, I don't know about that. I don't have any motivation to take this stuff. You see, when am I going to take this? There's nothing wrong with me if you don't know it. So you have to be warned that you have it. And this is what the gospel is. When we begin, it begins to talk about the Son of God coming to save us. It begins to tell us from what? The greatest disaster we'll ever experience, and we'll experience it for eternity. But being born again is the medicine. So now that we're warned... Now what happens? The Holy Spirit begins to woo us. He begins to woo us. Why has he warned us? He warns us so he can get our attention to win us into heaven. So the next step, he woos us. Wooing. We begin to be shown the extent of God's great sacrificial love that he would lay the full wrath of his anger upon his own son so that we, his people, who were under his judgment to condemnation, could be brought into his kingdom by being born again. We're wooed. 1 Thessalonians 1.10 Jesus delivers us from the wrath of, sin, uh, wrath of God. Jesus delivers us from the wrath of God. 1 John 1, 7. For the blood of Jesus, God's Son, cleanses us from all sin. So what is the, what is the, the wooing? I have found out that my little baby has an incurable, deadly cancer that will kill him or her within six months. And there's absolutely no way around it. No matter how I dress, no matter how I talk, no matter where I go, no matter with whom I associate, no matter anything, nothing can cure it except one cure. 
And there's only one doctor who has this one cure. But you see, in order for this doctor have developed, to have developed this cure, this doctor had to have paid the highest price professionally. But he did it because he loved the people. So when I hear the news that my child can be healed of this cancer, I hear the news that there is a remedy. All of a sudden, my heart begins to be wooed toward that remedy. And the remedy for the wrath of God is the love of God in pouring out upon his son at the cross my condemnation. The remedy for us escaping the wrath of God is us believing and receiving that Jesus, God's Son, received the full wrath that I deserved and that you deserved, the cup of damnation that we should have had, he drank it at the cross so that God pours out all of his wrath upon his Son so that for God's people there remains no more condemnation or judgment. And how do we receive this? By being born again. I want to make sure tonight, I think, I know the Holy Spirit wants us to make sure tonight, that whatever you hear tonight, you hear this. There is absolutely no other way to have eternal life other than to being born again, which we'll talk about how that happens. I hope tonight that the Holy Spirit is drumming out of anyone's thoughts of any other way. If there is any other way, even the least of any other way, this means that Jesus did not rise from the dead. But since he did rise from the dead, this proves that what he said is absolutely, unequivocally the truth. So we're being wooed by God's love. There was a lady who, and a husband who used to be members of the church, Bo and Evelyn. Bo and Evelyn Mormon. Some of you remember Bo and Evelyn? A couple of you have been here maybe long enough. You remember Bo and Evelyn. <clears throat> and Mormon, uh, and Bo got sick. He's dying in the hospital. And I went up there that night. And I sat with Evelyn and Bo was under the influence of the morphine. And she and I talked a little bit. And I said, Evelyn, tell me how you and Bo met. And she kind of brightened up a little bit and smiled. This is a lady who today is in her 90s. She said, well, when I was young... I saw Bo and I knew Bo and he knew me. But I didn't think particularly anything about him. You know, just another boy. Eh. She said, but I made friends with Bo because he had a car and I didn't. <laughs> and I wanted to go places and he had a car. So I began to make friends with him. Okay, that's fine. She said, but something happened. She said, as we began to spend time together, Bo began to win my heart with words and deeds and gifts. She said, I found my heart being one. He began to woo me. He began to woo me. She said, at first, no, he was just another guy. I wasn't particularly interested in him. But once I got to know him, I began to come under his wooing power. And finally, he asked me to marry. And I said, I'll cook you meals. Does that marry them? I'm a preacher. I know what marries people. There's several in this room I've married. 
Will you marry me? I'll cut your grass. Matt, I'll come into your house. And every, not you particularly, you know, but I know you. You'll hold me to this. I'll cut your grass. Is that the answer she, he, he was looking for? I'll cut your grass. Is that the answer? Will you marry me? I'll do your laundry. Will you marry me? Well, well, I've lived next door to you all my life. We grew up together. We're the best of friends. What is the answer, the only answer that will allow them to be married? Two words. I do. Oh, yes. Amen? Right? He wasn't looking for anything of works or anything else except yes, which was an expression, I will surrender myself into your life and I will receive you as my husband and allow you to be the one who leads my life and who provides for me and who protects me. I will allow myself to come under your influence and become your wife. We're warned that if we're not married to Jesus, we're under the wrath of God. You know that now. But the love of God says, by proving who Jesus is and what he's done at the cross, God effectively is saying, will you marry me? Will you be committed? Will you allow me to be your leader? your provider, your protector? Will you allow your whole life to be consumed in and by me? Will you let me bless you with all of the blessings that God has? That's wooing, beginning to woo, to begin to bring you in. Tonight as we listen, I'm hoping that the Holy Spirit either is or has already convinced some of you that first, you're not married to God because you've never come to a place of understanding and really saying, yes, I do. I receive. I believe. I surrender. There's still that thing in here, you, but, well, yeah, but I've done this and I've done that. It has nothing to do with being born again. All of that stuff is not on the final exam. It's not the final exam. And only thems who are born again pass the final exam. And so if you have been experiencing something of a little bit of a dry mouth about the wrath of God. And trust me, you do not want to take a chance on this because there is no chance to take. Every one of us will cease to live one day. I'll be doing another funeral next Friday. I see babies born. I marry couples. I baptize. And I do funerals just like the other pastors on staff. And every one of us, our bodies come to an end. And every one of us in this room who are breathing, anybody not breathing? A couple of you look like you may not be, I'm not sure. <gasps> Everyone who is in here breathing, we're guaranteed to stand before this judge. And the entrance into heaven, have you been born again? Or do you think there's another way? That's not the right answer. The winning of God, the love of God, placing upon the Lord Jesus our full sin. So what happened with Bo and Evelyn? He began to woo her and to woo her and to woo her. So I asked her. I knew the answer, of course. What did you do? 
She said, I said yes. And they were married over 50 years and I asked her, I said, has it been worth it? She started crying. She said, yes. I'm so glad I said yes. I'm so glad I said yes. Winning. How does God win our hearts? As we begin to experience the affection of God's love in us, the feeling, the emotion, the desire, two desires, a desire and even a fear, and it should be a fear, about remaining under the wrath of God. Several years ago, when I was much younger, I know that's a long time ago, we were over in Veterans Highway, a bunch of us during the Mardi Gras time. You know how they put up those, stand, those barricades, whatever. So we were in the street and there were a bunch of folks behind the barricade. And there was several young guys, you know, young teenage boys, whatever. And so we were out there witnessing and sharing the gospel. And a couple of them are there smoking. Okay, fine. And so we were talking about going to hell. And one of them says to me, I'm not afraid of burning. I took that cigarette out of his hand. Boom. And I said, put it toward his cheek. He said, man, you're crazy. I said, you said you weren't afraid of burning. Let's see. <laughs> well, of course he's afraid of burning. Everybody's afraid of the wrath of God. We should be. We'd be foolish not to be. We can say what we say, but it's the most terrible thing that we'll ever experience. But God says, you don't have to. I've put all of that price upon my own son. So in John chapter 19, verse 30, at the end of the crucifixion time, the six hours on the cross, Jesus says, it is finished. Meaning the full price of their sin has been finally, fully, and forever paid by me. They never have to pay a thing. Now the Holy Spirit brings us this message warning us about the wrath, wooing us by the love of God, and tonight, hopefully, winning us by us saying, I do, I receive, I want to be born again. Because in, inside of you, if there is happening a desire, a feeling, a wanting, I want to be born again. I want to be in heaven. I want to experience the blessings of God. I want to be a child of God. I want to escape the wrath to come. I want to. If that is happening, what that is, is the Holy Spirit inside of you changing your desires. Having heard this word and placing in you the desire to be saved from the wrath of God. That's the Holy Spirit's work. That's what's happening. It's not you making a decision. It's the Holy Spirit doing that work to which you need to cooperate or to say, I do. You see, when Bo said to Evelyn, will you marry me? Inside of her heart had already been planted love for this man. It didn't get in there the moment he said that. It got in there as he began to woo her. So when he said, will you marry me? That connected with the love that she had for this man. And all it did is to, if you would, seal the relationship. Do you understand that? It sealed the relationship. Saying yes to Jesus is like this. When I see my grandson, who's 20 years old, who's a grown man, and when I see him, 
I don't shake his hand. I'm not interested in shaking my grandson's hand. I come up to him and he comes up to me and I give him a big kiss and he gives me a big kiss and we hug one another. Now, I hope that doesn't offend some of you because I have an answer for it and we'll talk about that later. Listen, when I open my arms to my grandchildren or my wife or my daughter, Jesse, what do I want in return? Their arms open to me. And when I hug them, what am I wanting from them? What, guys? A hug back. It's okay. Men can hug. It's okay. It's okay. It's a manly thing. You can hug. We can even talk about hugging. When God sends his son to go to the cross and then tells the Holy, sends the Holy Spirit to come into our lives with the embracement of God and the embracement of a heavenly father, a father who stands in front of us with his arms open wide to say, come to me and let me hug you. And what is our response? Oh, no, I don't want to be hugged. I don't want to be hugged. It, our response is to hug him back. That's saying yes to Jesus. That's saying, I receive Christ. The Bible says, to as many as received him, to them he gave the authority to become the sons of God, even to those who believe on his name. John 1.13. So tonight, you've come tonight, you've heard a lot of information for these last, what, eight, nine weeks, Frank? A lot of information. There's only been one point in it. All of it has one goal primarily. And that is God's goal to alert you first to the fact that you haven't been born again automatically. You did not enter this world being born again. That at a certain time in your life, you must be born again before you die in order to go to heaven, in order to have eternal life. Everything has been moving toward that, and Frank has talked about that and given opportunity for that at the tables and so on. But tonight, for the first time, some of you will respond tonight saying, Tonight's my night. I dare not leave this place tonight without having been born again. This is God's invitation to you. This is God's desire. He stands tonight with his arms open and says to you, Will you come unto me in Jesus' name, receiving what Jesus did and trusting what he did to the cross as the full penalty that you should have paid but that he paid in your place? Will you trust that tonight and surrender your life just like Evelyn surrendered her life into Bo's leadership and protection and provision? Will you do that gaining what? Gaining eternal life, gaining all the blessings of God, gaining heaven itself forever. Let's stand together.